Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar, the second of hopefully three episodes this week. We're doing a old school, but like half old school, or at least 75% old school MMO schedule as we give you more than two episodes. Again, fingers crossed. Hopefully that's the intent anyway. This week we had part one of this kind of two-part Oscar race checkpoint to lead off the week. Well, we dabbled in also Mike's New York Film Festival experience. We started off, we kind of previewed it, we reviewed, he gave you a non-spoiler review of Tar from there in our last episode. We teased what this part will be and we're going to dive deep into also Mike's New York Film Festival experience, all the friends made along the way, all the <laughs> apple pie, French toast eaten in movie scene. I am your co-host Mike One and uh, you're the man of the hour here also Mike. Well, I really appreciate you doing an episode like this, as always. You know, I'm basically just going to tell travel stories and give reviews, and you're going to kind of like interview slash banter slash grill me in some cases. Bring up uh, other erotic art- authors that I know and I've heard of. <laughs> there yeah. you go. Yeah. So we, uh, we're we going to have that kind of discussion today. And uh, over that span of time, I will basically misreview these movies because I, there's no way like I took all of these things <laughs> in with a coherent brain. I've been burning the candles at, at both ends to do like a weekend warrior nights and weekends thing basically Don't with know this how festival. You do it. Don't know how you do it. It's been harder this year because I've had less availability, but it's it's been like double the fun because I think in this exasperated, like overtired state of mind, mm-hmm. I could just let myself be free and I could just like embrace more of what New York City has, I think. That's what I tell mm-hmm. myself. Well, speaking of embracing what they have to offer, I guess we could start there. Let's start with this uh, tease short story about a boy, boy meets girl, girl turns out to be erotic author, and boy eats apple pie French toast. And that's where we have to start. Yes, the Smith. I did my research, and I saw this French toast advertised on their brunch menu. I've always wanted to go to this place, and I finally did. It's Saturday morning. I go there. You know, look, I'm not the most social person in the world, but I'm sitting at the bar, and I got, like, a headphone in. I'm not trying to be totally antisocial, but I, I do what I came to do. I ordered my French toast. I ordered my cappuccino. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of looking around at film festival stuff. I'm making some notes on the films I saw, you know, previously, so, so we can record these podcasts. Responsible professional before you engorge yourself in the apple pie front. It looked delicious. And, and look, at my order comes, and I, it was a surreal moment, Michael, because this delicious-looking French toast became like the star of the room. It's almost like it. we, we got in, like, slow motion in a movie scene. <laughs> and I, I felt like I was, you know, Marilyn Monroe in the midst Love of... lift me up where we belong. <laughs> in the midst of paparazzi, because mm-hmm. I, I, I kid you not, people to my right, left, and behind me all came and took pictures. You know how I know this? Because they leaned over me, like the, this nine-year-old girl. I'm sitting at a New York City bar. Everybody's ordering ordering uh, Bloody Marys, except for me. And this nine-year-old girl leans over me and takes a picture. Why she's do- at the bar, I don't know. The the dude behind me is like, oh, yeah. He, he, he leans over me, and he bumps my shoulder. Because he's, you know, leaning over me with his phone to take a picture. And then World War Z all of a sudden. And then the only person who's 
uh, nice enough and decent enough to look beyond the foodie pictures of it all and the food porn of it all is ironically erotica author Lola. So Lola and I make friends and we bond over this French toast. We strike up a conversation over this French toast. And it I gotta tell you, it was a it was a fun way to meet somebody because we start out, you know, basically breaking down what that French toast was. I mean of it's course. it is it is delicious. It's like apple pie on top of the I don't know the type of bread. It felt like brioche, but it's mm-hmm. thick bread less eggy not savory more dessert like so it's basically dessert for breakfast okay I'm and that. I, i'm eating i'm offering it to her she doesn't you know i'm <laughs> again probably like huge forkfuls going into my <laughs> face again i don't blame her for not enjoying it with me but she's like the next time i'm coming here i'm ordering this and uh, she's waiting for her food i'm housing it she's she's talking to me about you know, that's something you order on your birthday. And then she's telling me about all her birthday plans in the future because she's like the best at throwing herself and having her friends throw her birthday celebrations. Like nice. She's, like I mentioned I'm going to the film festival and she's talking about going to Cannes next year. And oh, wow. She's, she's not going to, to the Cannes Film Festival. She's just going to the French Riviera yeah. to party. <laughs> and she's telling me about all, all these birthdays she's thrown herself. And I'm just like the dork, like, hey, you know what? I saw Corsage, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is basically about a 40-year-old birthday party <laughs> with Mickey Creeps. <laughs> and that's what I, I'm like the dork, again, Speaking in between. Speaking of Creeps, would you like some French toast? <laughs> <laughs> would you like a bite? No, no. We had we had. We had a lot of laughs. We basically did the podcast that you and I have done like 12 times by now mm-hmm. with the Cannes Film Festival laughing at their, you know, just ridiculous amounts of standing ovation and mm-hmm. standing ovations. And she, she she knew about that as well. And then, you know, we're basically getting to know each other and I'm going overtime because I got to be at my screening and I'm pushing it. We're having fun. Uh, but uh, I do finally have to break away. And again, I'm such a dork. And this is how I leave. I'm like. Well, hey, what's your what's your Twitter follow? And she, I, I give her my phone, and she gives she punches in her Twitter, and we follow each other because she mentioned she was an author, and she mentioned she was an erotica author. But I'm like, yeah, I'll help you sell some books. Let's go. And she's like, do you really do that on your Twitter? And I was like, you should have seen the number of uh, vampire yeah. books yeah. our Twitter feed has peddled over the years. So, <laughs> I mean. We don't knock the hustle here. <laughs> Whatever exactly. you got to do to make a buck, go do it, man. So, yeah, she's uh, if, if you guys, you know, were on Twitter over the weekend and some erotica books were being peddled, it was by <laughs> me. It was deliberate. And, yeah, go support Lola. So, yeah, it was funny because, like, sh- she's not really talking about that the, the her, her job, really, but she well, is like, talking yeah, who about does? Yeah. She is talking about how all these birthday parties and it's research for her job. <laughs> so <laughs> That's where the eyes wide shut parties happen, I guess. Exactly. That's why can is so popular as a film festival. All these sick, sick, perverted <laughs> critics that just keep their mouth shut and are part of this. No, I mean, look, that's a, that's a fun story. And it's nice to have Lola as part of the MMO family there. And I hope she, I hope we helped her sell at least one book. I mean, Christ, if that's the least we can do for her. Yes. I will pound the table. Go follow author underscore Lola. Uh, and and buyer buyer books yeah 
There you go. All right. Nice sales job on both the French <laughs> Toast and the Erotica author. Let's talk about at least the, one of the first movies you saw on your trip this past weekend. It's one you were excited about. Mm. After Sun, this is an A24 movie. It's got a 91 Metascore, a 98 Rotten Tomato score thus far on 53 reviews at last check. Set for an October 21st limited release. The IMDb premise says Sophie reflects on the shared joy and private melancholy of a holiday she took with her father 20 years earlier. Memories real and imagined fill the gaps between as she tries to reconcile the father she knew with the man she didn't. We have stars Paul Mescal from Normal People and the Lost Daughter as well as God's Creatures in this. Uh, Frank Corio as a young Sophie. This is, uh, I guess, her debut film, right? Yeah, she was tremendous. What a find. What a discovery uh, by Charlotte Wells, uh, who, who in her own right as a filmmaker is going to shoot to the top of everybody's directors to watch lists. And Paul Mescal, like uh, like we've been saying for a couple of years now, he's been a rising star, and uh, he was really good in The Lost Daughter. I just saw him in God's Creasers. He was excellent. So, yes, the, the, the three-headed monster of talent in this film is as advertised. They did a wonderful job. And they're playing a ton of subtext because... You, you mentioned the premise. This is basically a vacation movie, and it's, it seems innocent enough, but there's a lot of drama behind the eyes. There's a lot going on behind the, uh, the father's life in particular, to the point where the director in the Q&A, Charlotte Wells, was describing that Frankie Corio was left ignorant of the full script and of the Paul Mescal characters, you know, real drama happening to him and his real struggles and his crisis. So she had to like read through that. And she did. She was perceptive enough. Of course, she read right through it and, and it, it shines through in her performance. So this is real fertile ground for Paul Mescal to, you know, to do the subtext and perform the hell out of it. And I, t I tell you, as a performance drama, it works. It also works as like just this emotional nostalgic thing thinking back to your childhood thinking back to you know how we remember our parents and and everything obviously hopefully not in this you know to in this bittersweet of a of a way but it's still it's still universal you can't escape that and despite the crisis that's unique to this character there is a lot of universality uh, in the pain that he he went through, and and let's let's be honest, this movie is mostly about a fun vacation, and mm. things kind of you know rise from the from from underneath the surface. Frankie Corio doesn't. I mean, she's not as young as uh, I, I uh, Brooklyn Hart. I cannot remember that young actress's name from the Florida Brooklyn Project, Prince. Forgive me, Brooklyn Prince. Thank you. I mean, she she looks like she's like I don't know ten, eleven at least in the photos here. Is the the story they were trying to hide from her? Is it like have sexual undertones? Is no, 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 no. No, no, no. The father's just de dealing with some things in his own life. So, I mean, the the, the the parents are separated. So she's like going uh, on a on a vacation with her dad to bond with her dad, you know, over summer break or something. So it's it, it's one of those type of stories where uh, they're not estranged, but they're probably they're not living together. Mm -hmm. And uh, look, I just think it's it, it's a really smart way to do one of these stories. And Charlotte Wells actually described the screenwriting process and the filmmaking process as taking out a lot of the details and forcing the audience to kind of catch up with the plot. Uh, and that that uh, that really worked for this because there's quite the emotional ending that's just very simple in its symbolism, but it's just so visually striking that that it's. It really hit me hard. I got to be honest. So after Sun finishes with that kind of flourish, that raksha, and there's no avoiding it. So it's it's much, it, it works 
as a payoff and it, and it rewards your patience. There's no question about it. So I, I would say, and I mean, again, take these gra- grades with a grain of salt. I, I kind of got to rewatch all these movies, right. but like a B plus 87, I would say. It's a respectable grade, and obviously it's gotten very well reviewed by critics around. Uh, any Oscars likes for this? Do you think it's more of an indie spirit player? I mean, if you had yeah. to compare it as well, do you think it's more along the lines? I know the Florida Project had a couple uh, uh, Oscar noms attached to it, but do you, I mean, is this reliant on the young actress in the way the Florida Project was? Is that something to compare it to? Absolutely, absolutely. That's a good comparison, but it doesn't have like the Willem Dafoe level right. prestige. Like Paul Mescal is so much he's on the rise and he's he's so sexy and he's such a movie star <laughs> and he's and he's building up that it's it's hard to like reward him or, or have the immediacy of this project that you must award him at the Oscars level at this stage right. there's a, there's a few scenes that are kind of jarring with his performance I, I think they work don't get me wrong but little uneven in that regard that's not his fault that that, it's deliberate i would say from wells and it works again in the movie but it's probably not academy fair now that being said should it be indie spirits absolutely should it be gotham's absolutely this is a 24 they they own those award shows right now right so i mean we we should totally see that and then frankie corio and all the best young actor categories uh throughout all the, the you know shows at the award season she should be involved We've had a, a smattering of young actors, breakthrough actors, however you want to define whatever that category is in your mind. This year, I mean, just to kind of run down a list of them, we both shouted out the Black Phones, Madeline McGraw and Mason Thames. Mm-hmm. Uh, we love Cha-Cha, Real Smooths, Vanessa Burkhart. You loved Camille Laban Martin from One Fine Morning. Uh, you're mm-hmm. about to review that. You've mentioned the cast of The Innocents, the horror film from Eskel Vault. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm murdering these names. Es- yeah. Eskel no, Vogt. you're right. You, you're right. Eskel Vogt. It's well, Stephen Vote is why Stephen okay. Vote is a catcher for the A's. I know that. That's why well, it's got to be a skill vote. I would think. I have always says Vought, so uh, Vought. like like yeah, the uh, Vought, actually it like the evil Vought. corporation in uh, what's it the bro- here we go. Oh my God, <laughs> I'm so old. Just it's just that snowball rolling down that hill, and we'll the get boys, there. the boys on Amazon. Uh, Amazon. Jesus, Vought. Vought is the evil corporation of superhero peddlers. Maybe it is Stephen Vought. It's skill Vought. Yeah. All right. So anyway. <laughs> that director from The Innocents, uh, you reviewed from the Spring Festival. Is there any other young actor, young actress breakthrough performance that's kind of caught your eye, or do you want to just go right into uh, One Fine Morning? Well, now? yeah, let me mention some honorable mentions here. Uh, please allow myself to introduce myself. <laughs> the Stranger Things kids have had a nice year. Finn Wolfhard was good in When, you, when You're Finished Saving the World. That was at Sundance. Gat and Matsurazzo. Uh, butchering the names Gaetano there Gaetano our guy uh, from Connecticut by the way New London he is in Honor Society which I really liked and then the editor oh boy Atanacupo thank you I gotta see that name in my fucking nightmares Thanasis (laughs) the Antetokounmpo brothers are played by Uche and Raul Agata real brothers in real life I don't I didn't know I think they're older like a lot of these actors, that's why you probably didn't have them in the first list of notables there, Mike. But I think, and I don't uh, like the Tenacupo family right now either. So yeah, that's also probably why. That. That. And yeah. then there's their TV movies. So where where's the eligibility in that category? I have no idea. Otherwise, after Yang's Malaya Emma Tandra We Jaha Jaya. 
uh, Tandra Wijaya. We're trying. We're really I, no, trying. I looked it up. I looked the pro- up the pronunciation. <laughs> I think that's right. I, 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 I tried hard. And then I don't know if these are 2021 or 2022 films, but Anna Cobb and we're all going to the World's Fair and uh, Ryan Sarlacc of uh, Hit the Road, the Iranian film, which I loved. It was in my top five from last year, but I think it actually released earlier this year. So remember those names but yeah that's that's the category up till now and we got some more coming mike yeah and there's like a, a, a collection of films that are at least in part going to rely on the performance of some younger actors or breakthrough performances the fablemans armageddon time till the wonder the sun white noise uh we got a bunch of, it's it's a big year like i said in the outset here kind of a big year for that breakthrough performance that younger actor actor actress performance uh here in 2022 so kind of Setting the stage. And look, that's important because you, you go back and look at like, what was it? The 2018 year, the 2017 year where we had like the best breakthrough performance. And those are all Hollywood royalty now. Mm. So th- that stuff does matter. And it, it is a true preview of what's to come in terms Definitely. of the landscape of Hollywood. Uh, Bones and All is the next movie, Mike. Mm-hmm. I imagine you went into this full of ribs and barbecue sauce and blood all over your face from Orion <laughs> Pictures, which is an MGM company, of course. It's carrying a 75 Metascore, a 90% uh, Rotten Tomato score, and 61 critic reviews. It's got a wide release set November 23rd. Marin, a young woman, learns how to survive on the margins of society. Just say cannibal. Directed by Luca Guadagnino, of course, by Call Me By Your Name, I Am Love, uh, the Suspiria remake, and others. Written by David Kagnich. Kagnich? Kajganich? Oh, oh, boy. Mike. I got I to gotta tap out some of these names. Yeah, from A Bigger Splash and Suspiria as well. Of course, we've talked about this. It stars Timothy Chalamet, Taylor Russell, uh, she of the Escape Room series, and Waves, Mark Rylance, Michael Stuhlbarg, Andre Holland, David Gordon Green is in this, Chloe Sevigny as well. And speaking of Suspiria and mm-hmm. Hollywood and horror royalty, Jessica Harper is in this too. What did we think of Bones and All? Well, I mean, most importantly, I got to say what I ate beforehand. It was just a French toast. I did not have time. Oh, between- you fraud. Yeah, I did not have time between after. You should have at least gotten a bottle of ketchup and sprayed it all over yourself. (laughs) Go in with ketchup all over my mouth and beard. Yeah, like drooling red stuff out of yeah. Yeah, just like a full vampire just fed look, or just like every character in this. I'm here to look at the menu. (laughs) I did not have time to eat anything other, and I look. You're right. I chickened out in the sense that I had a French toast, which was not meat related. And I purposely didn't eat meat before this because I was like worried. And David Long sending out tweets, I wouldn't eat before this. I wouldn't eat after this. I'm never going <laughs> to eat again. That. I saw that. <laughs> Poor David. So I was, I was afraid. I was really nervous for this movie. I, I thought it was going to be too gross for me. And I was really concerned that I would not eat afterwards. What was I going to do uh, for the rest of the day? Like in between, like that's the whole, half the reason I go is to eat at mm-hmm. these film festivals. Anyway, look, your three stunt doubles walk in. And it immediately put me at ease, though, because I am just <laughs> delighted to see three visages of your giant Polish self all within the space of like 10 seats. There is no telling how many Mike One stunt doubles were in here. They might as well have been wearing scorpion jackets because they were your stunt doubles. <laughs> scorpion jelly? You mean like I'm Sting? Is that like where you're dri- going? Like Drive, like Drive. Oh, He's all a right. stunt double. Gosling. <laughs> you didn't get the joke? No, I thought you were going pro wrestling on me there. I was proud of you for a minute. Well, uh, scorpion jackets have a bigger place in your life than Universal, mine. yeah. We're anyway, everywhere. So then, like, the presentation starts. You always have one of the heads of the film festival come out, introduce the movie, and all of a sudden, 
I think of the relationship between Bones and all when Luca Guadagnino was coming of age himself, 1980s. This movie's about the 1980s. And I think of the band Fine Young Cannibals. Do you know okay. this band, Michael? Because I, I know of them. I don't know Good that I know Good thing. And songs. then she drives me crazy. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know that song. Yeah. Like no one else. Yeah. And I can sing the whole song. Yeah. My one of my favorite all-time karaoke band. Nobody wants to go to karaoke with me because You've probably sang that, them at karaoke? I've sung this song at karaoke okay, in New York good City. Good for you. And uh it's easy for anybody to sing cuz you just sing like the voice of Mark Rylance in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> she drives me crazy and I can't help myself. And you can just totally lead into it. It's, it's hilarious. Where uh, did everybody go? <laughs> it's hilarious for the first 30 seconds. And then by the end of the song, everybody's just looking at you wanting to stab We you. get it. <laughs> Probably wanting to eat you. Just like, again, right. Mark, Mark Rylance in this movie. that's how you so, get bones and all. Yeah. That's how you'd get it. So this makes sense. Maybe he's not lying about Army Hammer being the true source material of this film he's just making a movie about his experience singing you know karaoke to find young cannibals like me and i just felt a great kinship with my italian brother in there uh right before the movie this is what's going through my head during the movie so i'm in a great headspace i had a fun conversation with lola ate some great french toast saw your stunt doubles i giggled and the movie starts (laughs) and we're waiting for something horrifying to happen we're following taylor russell's character in a normal 1980s suburb right living you know with high school kids and then something happens and i am the only person in an 1100 person alice tully hall laughing out loud (laughs) good when this deadly serious (laughs) terrifying horror scene happens to the point where i was embarrassed i had to stifle my choking laughter just like a jerk to the point where I'm like almost wheeze. It's making me laugh harder. My I tears don't are going long here. <laughs> tears are falling down my face because I'm making a complete fool of myself. Because I, you know, it's the good stuff. It's the good stuff. I didn't expect this to happen. It's really bizarre. What was? And I don't. I mean, obviously, don't spoil it. I don't want to know what part of the movie. But like, was it? Supposed like, to be scary? Was it supposed to be disconcerting? What I was the tone they were going for? I don't know. I all I okay. know is I'm I'm peeing my pants because I'm laughing okay. so hard, and <laughs> okay. I can't really let it show. But I'm really laughing, so it's good. It's the good <laughs> stuff, like I said. Now, good. Right. the movie gets more serious, wins me over dramatically. Don't get me wrong. At least this is not like a you know awesomely bad film right in the least it's not cringe humor or whatever it's funny it's funny to me in in, in retrospect but it, it does work as a drama and 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 that does not include mark rylance because mark rylance is delivering one of the most bizarre performances you've ever seen he gets okay, scary later but you but you could have said that about him and don't look up too couldn't you have yeah absolutely but so that's does, a sat- did it work that's a tonally i don't know well yeah i mean he's scary but he's talking like I'm trying to remember the characters. Like he look at the, I just had my niece kind of just hung out with my niece a little bit. She's watching Blues Clues. Yeah, and I, where are we going with this? Mark Rylance <laughs> could host Blues Clues as this cannibal <laughs> character. <laughs> he's trying to mentor Taylor Russell. We just got a finger. I just ate a finger. <laughs> gonna eat a finger wonder who it's from but in like this pitchy high boy like, <laughs> like this that's how it talks the whole movie 
<laughs> well, I think it's a South Park character that talks like that. <laughs> How the hell? Like Mr. Hanky. Mr. Hanky. He's Mr. Yeah. Hanky. Like, Mark, uh, who, who inspired your performance, sir? <laughs> the great thespian of our time. Uh, Mr. Hanky, the Christmas poo. What do you think? How many takes do you think it took to get to that voice, that voice choice, too? It's like, could you get a little higher? A little higher. A little higher. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, this was bizarre. And, again, I'm kind of laughing. I can't help it. Uh, But I'm having fun. I'm having a blast. And the movie's good otherwise. It's kind of scary, obviously. And Mark Rylance becomes a scary character, despite his voice. Uh, Taylor Russell meets Timothy Chalamet. That is an unstable relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Timothy's usually good for those on screen. (laughs) Skeeter Schoolbarg. Mm-hmm. He what makes is he, a cameo. What's he, well, like, what is he doing? What what character is he's he? He's just in overalls, looking terrifying. He's just a, a a person they meet along the way. He's just the guy from Deliverance without the banjo. Yeah, they meet him along the way. David Gordon Green is involved in that scene, and uh, you'll have to see it. It's just kind of very unassuming and yet really scary, and it's just a good good scene. And look, I mean, the the pacing is working okay it's a slower paced film it's an it's an art house type of pacing i would say so you got to be ready for that you got to be ready to live in it for a while and just go along for the road trip that you know it's it's, it's a slow and beautiful road trip with a couple of you know meals horrible horrible cannibals <laughs> yeah they, they stop to eat they do 130 stop minute runtime did it feel long it didn't feel that long but it, but it you know there are some lags in it so Points off for a few lags. However, wild sequences in this movie. Yeah, I mean, Crazy. that probably is to be expected. <laughs> and it's it's nuts. And the finale is nuts. And look, I'm not as big of a proponent of the romance factor of this. I thought, like, the strangeness worked better than the horror. But it's strange enough and something I've never seen before that I'm... I don't know. The bizarre, grotesque story here kind of worked on me. It didn't kind of. It worked on me. And the fun I had amongst this uh, crowd, I I have to give it a good grade, I think. Again, take these grades with a grain of salt, but I had a fun time watching Bones and All. Does it walk the tightrope tonally between, like, horror, farce, and serious drama between... It's it's trying to be a serious drama, I was going to say, is it something like Let the Right One In? It's yeah, the pacing is like let the right one in. However, it it's this road trip story where I I got to rewatch it. There might be some a satirical edge in there where I think he's maybe I hope. That's what I hope because I hope he meant for me to laugh or to chuckle or to be like <laughs> he's going to eat him. He's going to eat him. <laughs> We're all stoolbark on the inside. We're all stoolbark. Is there any Oscar's lens for this? I don't think so. I think uh, it'd be hilarious if there were, but I, I wish it was Taylor Russell. I wish she had a chance. I mean, the movie's about her, but she's like such a generous actress. Uh, she just kind of gives to everybody. I would be surprised. Again, she's so young. She's conquering the world. Do they need to give it to her, especially in this crowd out of a year? No, I don't think it's going to happen. But yeah, I mean, would it would Ryland shock me? No, but it would be hilarious, and uh, I can't wait if that it does happen. 
Do you think he got Bridger spies just because he was most normal and most like a human being in that performance? <laughs> That's why they gave it to him. He was the best at flipping through dossiers. <laughs> Congratulations at playing an actual human. <laughs> Um, were you hungry? I mean, David Long clearly wasn't. Did this movie Look, affect you in that way? For whatever reason, I was famished coming out. Of, I was so hungry. <laughs> I worked sick. up such an appetite. So if you I didn't sick. have a cadaver to just mom, nom, nom. Uh, no, I, I had to go to the next best thing that looked the closest and get like a meatball parm platter. So, of course, I went to Parm, which was this place. And, you know, I read all about it, about being... Uh, a, a, a specialty place about Parmesan sandwiches and platters. And I felt like some pasta. It's kind of a cool day. I wanted to just eat some meatballs and pasta. And yeah, this was a good spot. Hit the, hit the, uh, it, it hit exactly my objectives here. So I got a meatball parm platter covered with like, like Brooklyn mutts, like a, a, a whole blanket of it. And with the bed of mutts, you got this spicy pasta, this spicy, Rotini pasta, you like the little swirls. It was a sub, and you got a side of pasta. No, just got the meatballs because you can get it on a sandwich, or you can get it as a platter. Oh, okay. And I, right. I got the I got the platter with with a Brooklyn lager, and I was, you know, I just imagined that I was Timothy Chalamet during the film, and I ate it really fast. <laughs> just, just let the marinara sauce drip down your beard. <laughs> I want you covered in blood like red, as is what I'm going at with this. You should have seen this looking like a cannibal. What movie did you just see? Said the next single serving. <laughs> Uh, yeah, again, I, how much do you take us seriously as Oscar pundits? How much do you tune in just for us you to be idiots? saying that you were the only one laughing at that, like, that's that's appropriate for MMO. Yeah. I think that's that's where we fit in. That's our niche. Out loud. Comfort spot, yeah. And then, embar- like, red face, tears in my eyes, embarrassed because I'm still laughing. I can't stop, and nobody else is, is, is into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't know how embarrassing it was for One Fine Morning. This right. is the next movie you saw, written and directed by Mia Hansen Love, who did Bergman Island. It's got an 84 Metascore, 88% on Rotten Tomato right now on 33 critic reviews. The plot reads, Sandra, a young mother who raises her daughter alone alone pays regular visits to her sick father while she and her family fight tooth and nail to get him the care he requires. Sandra reconnects with Clement, a friend she hasn't seen in a while. Although he is in a relationship, the two begin a passionate affair. This stars Leah Seydoux from No Time to Die, Blue is the Warmest Color, Crimes of the Future, Melvin Poupon from A Christmas Tale, Speed Racer, Camille Laban Martins, and Pascal Gregory are in this. What did we think of One Fine Morning? Well, there are a few laughs, believe it or not, in One Fine Morning because that's because Mia Hansen Love is just like the greatest writer ever, and she wrote a hell of a script last year for Bergman Island, and and yeah, she she does include a few laughs here, but it, this is an intense movie watching experience. They're juggling the through line of Leia Seydoux's father character in this, uh, who's suffering from some kind of like Alzheimer's like mm. degenerative disease. I think they called it Benson's syndrome. Very, very sad and, and unfortunately true to life to the director's own personal experiences that she had to go through and struggle through. Uh, and I, I tell you what, there's a lot of details in here that you wouldn't expect, that you wouldn't pick up, but it just really beautifully shot and juxtaposed with a couple dueling narratives. You have her balancing her professional life as a diplomatic interpreter and uh, her life as a mother to, to a precocious little girl play, played by uh, Camille there, Liban Martin. And uh, then she's got this steamy romance 
with uh, Melvin, the the not the name you'd expect. Poopa, poop poopad, Melville Poupon. Yeah. Melville Melvin Poopad. Um, <laughs> pretty sure. I didn't look that up, but I'm pretty P-O-U-P-A-U-D. sure. P o u p a u d. I'll go with I'll yeah. go with my instincts. Yeah. <laughs> Poopad. Yeah. <laughs> Clement is his, is his name in the and, and, wow steamy relationship. Boy, is it steamy. Good God Almighty, Leia Seydoux. But look, in all seriousness, this is a dueling narrative that works. And she balances and and has the love life help her cope with the family struggles. It's very French. Like, I'm I'm going through the worst time of my life and the best time of my life at the same time. Mm. And this is life. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> I think of the Robin Williams. I'm giving a cigarette to a baby. Oh. <laughs> the, the, the comedy line. I'm French. Fuck you. <laughs> they hate us. I'm sure they do. But it, it really worked for me. That This movie worked. Uh, a lot of touching scenes with the mother-daughter. A lot of touching scenes. Uh, with the uh, with the new romance and and certainly with her father and her family, it works. And Leia Seydoux delivers another powerhouse performance, which is one of many uh, recent ones. So does that mean it's Oscars worthy? You could see it making some noise. It did not. It was in the shortlist. It did not get selected by France. Saint Omer was the selection from France, so it's going to be an uphill battle. Well, this one was made by a woman, so why would France select? Uh, well, no. The, 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 Saint Omer. I say that without knowing think, anything about Saint Omer. So. By the way, I think so. Saint Omer is a female yeah, filmmaker. Right. But look, at, I think we have a situation where France was stacked the last few years and stacked yet again in contenders, which makes you wonder if the branch has got to figure something else out in terms of having uh, a different qualification system. Like IndieWire has been stressing for a while. But anyway, that's beside the point. Leia Seydoux should be building an Oscar resume to rival anybody's. She had like four film festival films last year. All all touted for their performances, Deception French, The Story of My Wife, The French Dispatch, she was awesome in, that I that we reviewed uh, for last year's New York Film Festival. She just finished her run in 007 Films with No Time to Die, Crimes of the Future, she was one of the two standout performances, uh, were three really, Kristen Stewart and Vigo were all really good in that, along with Leia, and then, yeah, I think Mia Hansen Love is is building up her case. I mean, this is second really great screenplay in a row. She's got major chops as a director. So if this film doesn't break through, I don't. I don't think it will. No, I don't think it'll has an it has an Oscar lens. But you now have Leia Seydoux, Mia Hansen Love. They are knocking on the Oscars door, uh, and they should be let in pretty soon. I think. Co-sign that just based on what Leia Seydoux and Mia Hansen Love have done recently, which you attested to, and just to clean up there, me putting my foot directly in my mouth. Yeah, St. Omer, Alice Jop is the writer-director of it. So, I mean, good on France. I said that knowing historically that France, not right. so good on France, having shunned uh, a mm-hmm. lot of female helm pictures historically with their selections for the international feature category. So, what did you say? You said a B grade for this one? Higher? Yeah, B86. I could be talked up or down. Again, it's my third film in a long day after giggling like a fool. <laughs> at a movie I probably shouldn't have. Well, so let's talk funny. about that for a second, Mike. Like, my biggest issue with, I, I, there's no way I'd be able to do what you do in terms of seeing three to four movies at a time. You feel the fatigue settling in with this being your third movie of the day. Did, does that play on you at all? Well, I, I wasn't like fighting sleep or anything. It was a full day in the festival. So Triangle of Sadness is probably the movie that I'm least qualified to review because I was 10 beers in and falling asleep. Because I, <laughs> not, and no fault to the movie because I was just way overtired. Mm-hmm. That's not the case here. And that's why I didn't review it much in the other episode. I just kind of told stories about 
my idiocy. Right. <laughs> Polka bands and whatever nonsense. <laughs> but here we have, yeah, I'm locked in. I'm locked in to, to reviewing this. I just, yes, there's natural fatigue. That's why I don't necessarily buy into all the film festival first reactions and all the tweets. And that's why we don't do it here. Because yeah. I, don't, I don't believe in it, truthfully. And I don't yeah. believe you can take and, and be objective as a film critic when it's your third or fourth or fifth movie of the day. Sorry, I just don't buy it. And that's why I think there is a disconnect to how people review these movies soberly down the line and freshly down the line and, and how you get changes in the reception. Yeah, I think that's a very important thing to keep in mind whenever we do to review the reviewers or talk about these film festival showings or anything like that. And I think it's also important uh, to, I mean, if you can lean into a character like an Owen Kleberman does <laughs> if while you're doing this, d- d- do it, you know? I mean, g- give the people what they expect from you and put a little, it becomes funny after a little bit, I think. Oh, it becomes funny. There's no question. <laughs> Speaking of something hilarious, the wolf romance movie that we've all been waiting for, Decision to Leave, which we were promised werewolves in. This is from Mubi, of course. We've talked about this ad nauseum since uh, our first Way Too Early Oscars predictions episode. I think even since last year, uh, the Way Too Early Oscars prediction episode. This is limited release beginning October 14th. The uh, Park Chan-wook movie, the premise reads, a detective investigating a man's death in the mountains meets the dead man's mysterious wife in the course of his dogged sleuthing. Dogged? Wolf? Dog? Maybe? Park Chan-wook, of course, from The Handmaiden, Stoker, Old Boy, Lady Vengeance, a lot of great uh, films there. Parquet Ill uh, of The Host and Memories of Murder is in this. Tang Wei as well from Lust Caution, Long Day's Journey into Night. This carries an 83 Metascore, a 90% Rotten Tomato score, and 62 reviews. Tell me about The Wolves, Mike. I don't know what you're going on about these days. <laughs> I don't know you where you get your you ideas from. You talked me out of this movie because you said there were werewolves in it. Multiple times. <laughs> There's no werewolves in the decision to leave. <laughs> and look it, I'm not going to lie. Middle yeah, of the movie. Yeah. Middle of the movie, I'm still kind of expecting werewolves. You're like, I bet you there's werewolves. <laughs> I'm still holding out hope. No, by the way, we just talked about how like stamina and fatigue becomes a factor. Expectations of like werewolves appearing could also greatly induce how you view a movie. <laughs> yeah. And uh, look, I was put on. Look, I'll be honest. I, uh, yes, I was still holding out some hope. However, Park Chan-wook kind of set me straight before the movie started. He's very charming. His Intro was one of the best I've ever heard. It had the people dying laughing uh, because, you know, it's it's a film festival audience. They're ready to laugh at anything. Uh, but he, it was funny. I mean, he's telling us, look, it, there's no scenes of extreme violence, so you don't have to be scared. There's no scenes of full nudity, so you shouldn't get too excited. And... <laughs> Look, I wrote some of this stuff to be funny, so you have to laugh at it. And it just, yeah, everybody, everybody's putty good. in his hands. Yeah, good, good. So, so look, I knew, like, all right, that's probably doesn't signify werewolves. <laughs> probably not getting the full moon werewolves in London full transformation mm-hmm. of Tong Wei. Mm-hmm. Tang Wei, excuse me, uh, not going to happen. But look, I overall, I'm I'm a little more mixed than I would would have expected, but I'm oh, probably. Wow. I'm probably a little too harsh because I still give it a high grade, and it's undeniable. Like the filmmaking is next level. It's so creative in in how he deals with the narration here, on how he deals with the investigation of Ta- Tang Wei's character uh, by Park Hyil, and it's 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 just really fun to to move through the stages of it. 
until the movie doesn't get fun anymore, it's really harsh. But I, I think for a while there, we're, we're having we're having a blast with how creative Park Chan Wook is with uh, the cinematography, with the editing, with the first and second person narration, and for a fourth movie of the day, I can't complain now until the point in the mid movie where like the tone shifts and we get to like this really serious scene and I'm like, what the hell? This is not werewolf rate, uh, (laughs) related. This is not werewolf related. And I'm getting this violent, horrifying scene out of the blue. It was a bit of a swerve and it took, it took me by surprise. And from there, the movie, I was like catching up and that's okay. Let's, Go back and rewatch movies. I need to rewatch Decision to Leave really to figure it out more. And then my brain went wild with all of like the permutations of what this could mean to film noirs because I was kind of going down the route. And then I think I missed the point <laughs> of the movie, unfortunately. So I, I got to read up on it. I I just got to be honest. I don't I don't get the movie. I don't get it. So I have to go back and, and kind of figure it out. I think. And you and I probably should review it at some point, even if it's a top and Oscar race checkpoint or something. That's, if we didn't, I mean, do a usually Park Chan Wook can be relied on to tell you a straightforward story, at least. Yeah, I think I think I know what happened. I'm reading what happened, but why and why does he why is he putting this spin on the film noir? Or did he spin the film noir? Did he lean into it? I'm still asking these questions coming away from it. I don't know. Maybe the meatball parm and the, the you know the human uh, eating human violence in the previous movie <laughs> that made me laugh broke my brain, which is perhaps what happened. It would have been funny, though, if there were werewolves in this and you go from cannibal to meatball parm to werewolf. That would have been a good transition. Good and what if I was for you. still hungry after that? <laughs> I'm a little dismayed. I hope uh, I hope you do uh, get a chance to rewatch that, and that it's a uh, you know it was a case of meatball parm fatigue more so than lack of uh, the first half of the film clarity fatigue. Yeah, the first half of the film is fun, Mike. Like, there's no denying how fun it is. And then the latter half of the film, you're like, what the hell's going on? And again, I think I was just too tired. It mm. beat me up. But yeah. I got the crap beat out of me. Yeah. One on one with you were like Liam Neeson, the gray Park Chan-wook has done this to me before. You know, I mean, it's not the first time he's beaten, beaten us, beaten us up before. But it, this was a fun. This was a fun way to take a beating, I guess, as an audience member. <laughs> but it, it wasn't all on him. Obviously, just my fourth movie of the day and we're burning the candle at both ends these days with everything so that's where i'm at with uh decision to leave unfortunately i can't gush about it beyond the filmmaking like the story just i'm not a huge fan of the story right now that's my honest takeaway and i gotta see it again all right there's that in store it's something we'll probably circle back to and revisit at some point in the future like you said already uh we have three more quicker reviews here to kind of finish up with you saw Scarlet, Mike. This is directed by Pietro Marcello of Martin Eden, an Italian documentarian turned narrative filmmaker, making his first French-language film, the same story you've heard over and over again in Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> Scarlet stars Louis Garel of Little Woman, Raphael Terry, Juliette Juan, Yolanda Moreau of Amelia. Ah, I can Am- never say Amelie. that. Amelie. <laughs> I can never say. I For the life of me, there's certain words. I don't care how many times I can have practicing them. It's just never going to come out. When I on first blush, Amelie. That should be Amelie, like the Lil Wayne music, <laughs> but it's Amelie. <laughs> Noemi Lvovsky in this as well. She was not in Amelie, Amelie, no. Amelie, Amelie. 
Uh, what's Scarlet about, Mike? So it's this post-World War One father-daughter story that we pitched the premise about before, like being this fairy tale and having her, the daughter of the of the soldier, fall in love with a somebody she meets in the woods that's a fairy. No, it's it's a grounded story that's actually shot in many ways like a fairy tale. So it's it's a fascinating, fascinating filmmaking style because you have documentarian. Uh, Pietro Marcello, he's 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 got all this like real footage from post World War One and the onset of Technicolor, all this documentary footage about the men returning home from the Great War, and he actually shoots the rest of the movie in that style and matches it up. Oh, nice! I like and, that. Yeah, it's really fun, really cool. A lot of magical cinematography that fits this like fairy tale theme. With that, because there's so much hope coming home from the war, and then you get this story grounded in the cruelty of a village making outcasts of this father, of this daughter, of the of the woman that they live with and befriend, making outcasts of the, you know, the characters at the center of this story to really uh, to give you this like heart heart wrenching, heart warming little little story of these two. In this of this father and daughter trying to make hay in the world where they can't get employed, where she's just getting bullied ruthlessly, it's it's quite the it's it's quite the juxtaposition as I was saying. So you have the terrible poverty there, and then you have you know a hopeful fairy tale involved, and it, and it does it does leave you with that. So I, I was I was impressed at how they juggled the tones of, of Scarlet. And Marcello, I know he was really good at that with Martin Eden. That was quite the movie as well a few years back. And, yeah, he did it again with Scarlet. I would say, like, B-B, again, maybe a couple couple lags with a lot of these movies. But uh, I, I, I would totally recommend Scarlet, no doubt about it. Is it because of Martin Eden that you chose to see this one because of yes. your familiarity with Pietro? Yes, I, I loved Martin Eden. Uh, it was a, well, I mean, strong B, I would say, maybe a B plus a few years ago. But it was just a movie that got under my skin and stayed there. The performances were awesome. It was one of the. It reminded me of the Motorcycle Diaries. Okay. Kind of like the the young person's college movie where you just you know you get this. I don't know. You get these revolutionary feelings in in your brain, and that was Martin Eden for me. And I, I just I felt that spirit in the film. And then yeah, he, he, this guy's an inspired filmmaker. He really does a nice job. He has good Q and A. I thought I thought I learned a lot about him and and you know why why all the music, why all the you know the documentary uh, flourishes. It, it really worked. It did. Did you get a, either a Q and A or an introduction from? A, a filmmaker or an actor or somebody attached to the movie for each one of these screenings? Well, Guadagnino recorded one because this was the second or third screening and he was in London with the whole cast after being in New York with the, most of the cast before that. Uh, Chalamet wasn't able to make New York. I think he made you London. You had to go no. back to the set of Dune too. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I wrote a many... <laughs> I wrote many uh, jokes about that that I deleted, I think, between him <laughs> okay. and Florence Pugh. Uh, after deleting all the Fine and Cannibals jokes, I just said, I- I'm just going to sing the hit song. <laughs> anyway. He landed on the karaoke performance, and that's what matters. <laughs> but I went back after Scarlet for the strawberry cheesecake and cappuccino from Westside Restaurant. And it was a it was a great decision and a terrible decision all at once, Michael, because I if I had went to P.J. Clark's like I should have gone, I would have seen Judge's 60-second home run. Oh, you missed it. 
the diner didn't have a TV, mm. but it would have been perfect timing. Like, I would have been there eating key lime pie or cheesecake with a coffee. But I, I was worried. I was self-conscious about ordering a coffee at a bar when it was just like bar hopping time for everybody, you know? And I was you weren't self-conscious. self-conscious about ordering apple pie French toast at a bar when it was Bloody Mary time, though. Yeah, but that was 10, 10 30 or 11 a.m. That was 11 a.m. on a Saturday. So was, this, was this the cheesecake that you talked about last episode? That yes. You just, you just took it down? I went like back. Nights? I no. went back for it. Okay. Because it was so good the first time. And I missed Judge's 60-second home run because of that. But still this is another movie. reason I couldn't do this film festival at your pace is because I would need so many bathroom breaks. <laughs> Uh, I got I got one more night at the festival that I'll I'll go through quick, but it involves like stories that aren't as happy because like I got intimidated by a New York City bartender in in this instance. So I'm going into the city this past Sunday. I'm seeing RMN and Ennis Main. I've been count, uh, pronouncing it as Ennis Men mm-hmm. and Mike. I sit down and I watch this bartender just want to punch this old guy who's berating <laughs> him with inane questions about the menu. And I'm watching this guy. He's, he, he is doing the greatest job, this bartender at PJ Clark's, of not reaching across the tangle, table and strangling this dude. Because good. <laughs> it's so a good many, skill set to have. So many questions about the oysters and whatever. And I was going to ask him, a subsequent question about, okay, can I order something off the lunch menu? <laughs> and I just, I punted on it immediately. I panicked. I punted on it. He's like, what, what it's can just, I do It'd be a you? cartoon where it cuts to the outside of the bar and you're getting thrown out of it. <laughs> I was going to order the, I was going to order the chicken sandwich with the Japanese pickles and the mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure if I could do that at five o'clock because they just have a dinner menu apparently. So I was like, look, I'll, I'll be easy. This is after he turns to me, and what would you like, <laughs> mother? No, he turns to me. And he's like, "What could I do for you, sir?" He was the soup Nazi. That's what I remember. He was the soup Nazi. Yes, order. And I was just like, "I'll, I'll be easy. I need a Guinness. I need a Cadillac Burner. Cook, cook medium. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. May I have another?" And I just finished peeing my pants. One cup jambalaya. After that lovely exchange, you were treated to uh, RMN, written and directed by Christian Munju, the director of the Palme d'Or winner, uh, Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days is the former film there. The premise for RMN, a non-judgmental analysis of the driving forces of human behavior when confronted with the unknown of the way we perceive the other and on how we relate to an unsettling future. That sounds light and easy to understand what does all that mean mike not a good premise it's it's, it's a narrative story it's not this like philosophical pigeon on a branch movie no i mean that that sounds like a, a documentary it's not it's it's a terrible premise because essentially we follow like this screw-up character like he is a man in his late 30s and he comes home to his transylvanian village uh, because he has to, he's forced after working abroad in a factory in Germany to make ends meet and to send money back home. He, he's forced to return home where his personal life, his family life, the community life, everything's falling apart. So it's this like tapestry of all of these screw ups and all of these bigoted people just like coming apart at the seams and you see how they deserve it. Right. So it's this, the, they're not hiding the message with this uh with this film uh and Munju is really smart at how he balances and interweaves all of these plot lines because you have 
Matthias's son sees something in the woods. You don't know what the kid sees, but the kid will not speak anymore. He's traumatized by whatever the hell he saw, oh, wow. and we don't we don't figure it out until the end of the movie. Then you have the father dealing with dementia, terrible illness in his own life or in his own right, and Matthias having to visit his father and trying to care care for his father. You have Matthias like trying again, like <laughs> all these movies apparently dealing with a new love life or really a new old flame. His, his ex-wife is in town uh, and he's starting things up with her again. Meanwhile, he's it's a frosty nightmare with his current wife that he's cheating, uh, you know, behind her back on. And then she, the, the ex-wife runs a bread factory that's trying to employ immigrant workers because nobody will take the minimum wage that's being offered. And that's horrible that they have to offer just minimum wage. And there's this big debate. But anyway... The whole town is bigoted against these three immigrants who are brought over to work at the bread factory. And RMN is a slow starter, but when it comes together, you get one of the craziest last 30 minutes. It is so watchable. It's a wild ending all the way to the finish. It's an obvious message of rebuke. I was very impressed impressed with the screenwriting and directed, directing from Munju. And yeah, I got to give this a B plus, no doubt about wow. it. If you that kind of takes... Get through the beginning. Yeah, I was going to say the. It takes my question away because I was going to say, okay, you're you're setting this up. It sounds like a slow starter, but there are these converging storylines. But I was going to say, is the payoff worth it? But you already sold it. It's definitely worth it. It's a unique way to finish this one. And there's a lot of little kernels that are that are given to you earlier in the film. And you, you, so if you're paying attention, again, it's another movie like After Sun. Really rewards your patience. I would say, and uh, yeah, I can't can't help it. Now, again, you're locked in at a film festival. This is my first movie of the day in this instance, so I'm totally locked in, and I'm I'm very very patient. But like the momentum, once like the mid movie kicks in, you're hurtling towards the finale, and and it, it really worked. I, I was very impressed by how much narrative momentum this guy was able to to get. Of the movies you've reviewed so far, I think that's the one you've sold me on second most. Got to be honest with you. Uh, what I was the first most? Oh, Tar. Uh, well, well, no, I mean Tar is one. I just meant of this episode after Sun is probably oh. number one. So what's your you're most excited to see Bones and all? <laughs> no, after I mean I I'm going to see Bones and all, but After Sun is probably number one that you've sold me on. Oh, uh, okay. Decision okay. to leave, I'm still intrigued by. I just want to, I got to get my eyes on that just because it's been a long time coming. But uh, okay. RMN, I had no desire to see, but you've uh, you've done a good sell job on it. All right. I'm good at something. I don't think you're going to do as good a sell job on Ennis <laughs> Main, though. Uh, an experimental horror film from Neon. Neon usually has a decent track record with these types of things. This is from Mark Jenkin, the filmmaker. Stars Mary Woodvine, set in 1973 on an uninhabited island off the Cornish coast. Uh Cornish beef. A wildlife volunteer's <laughs> daily observations of a rare flower turn into a metaphysical journey that forces her, as well as the viewer, to question what is real and what is nightmare. So this is just the, the Natalie Portman movie again? Yeah. What was that one called? Black Swan? Uh, no, not Black Swan. <laughs> um, the one with the shimmer. Oh, Annihilation. Annihilation. No, yeah. No, I don't know. It's, it's such a strange movie. I... I mean, you're questioning what's real and what's fake. So that's why I went to Black Swan. But look at Ennis Main. I'm not gonna pile on, and it's just not for me. I'm not against experimental horror, but like, it's about a daily routine. Like this woman, she's like a scientist, and she's examining the flowers. She's got like this ritual where she drops a rock down the well, and then she goes home, makes tea, eats something, and goes to bed. 
Like that's and do she I starts up on, generator. Do I shit on your daily routine? Like you're shitting on mine right now. <laughs> I just don't love that. Sometimes ge- rocks need to go in the well, Mike. It's a general structure, and you add in all the hallucinations or visions or whatever the hell's going on. That's not really scary. It's more just like a visual thing. Where I mean, it's interesting, but there's this rock in the friggin' yard, and it keeps so what's the conflict? In. Like, is she's haunted by ghosts? Is she a ghost? Is is it a nightmare? What the hell's going on? I mean, we get we get some answers, but I just don't care. I'm bored the whole yeah, movie, and that's, that's the, the cardinal sin. sin. That's the greatest sin in a movie like that, especially any kind of experimental horror film can do. Cinematography is well done. The the performance by Woodvine is is really you know it's you're mesmerized by her because you have no choice, and she's doing a nice job, and you're trying to figure out what's happening with her. The sound mix is kind of cool because it's like this night. It's this old timey sound. It doesn't seem like it belongs. So again, it's dreamlike. But there's only so much of those flourishes that you can enjoy. So I just my grade would not be good. I I can't. I shouldn't say. But I was I was excited for the movie and it, it let me down. There's no doubt. So lowest probably on NS Mine. What 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 would you say your your highest on of the movies you've reviewed and all the movies you've seen at the New York Film Festival thus far? You still have some to go. You're going back <laughs> this weekend. Uh, you're gonna go see White Noise, and she said with her buddy Andrew Morgan there of recent activity, uh, formerly the Nomcast Pod. What is uh what do you think your highest on of what you've seen thus far at the New York Film Festival? Uh, definitely Tar. Definitely. Uh... Definitely bones and all. Those were fun. There's just fun movie watches for me. I, I can't. I can't help it. Uh, After Sun is probably next. And look at decision to leave. Like most of it was fun to watch, and then it wasn't fun to watch. But I think that's perhaps the point. So maybe I gotta re rewatch that to just figure it out. But uh, I, I'm I'm eager to do that. By the way, like once it comes here, I, I want to see it again. I'm definitely gonna a list that. No question about it. So those are my favorites thus far. I, I think. Good for the soul, one fine morning. Like like I said, Corsage got great scenes in it. Great scenes. Uh, I was high on Corsage. Triangle of Sadness, a little let down. What are you going to do? I do uh, like the the posters they've been putting out of just people projectile vomiting in all the yeah. elegance. That's but been the funny. Surprise of the festival was RMN. So like that's probably if I had a top four. I would say After Sun and RMN in some order, they're three, four, and then Tar's number one, and, and Bones and All is number two. There you go. Uh, we, I mean, we pushed off the box office update from last episode. We could do something with it quick, and I just basically want to mention Halloween Ends projection. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's projected to open at $50 million. Uh, the high watermark was 2018's Halloween, which I think did around 70 or 75. This one would probably be in that ballpark, if not surpassing it, if it wasn't going day and date like it is on Peacock, which we've talked about. So we're going to see it together in theaters, and then we're going to go home and watch it under the same moon again. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe under the again. same blanket, too, depending on how things go. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how things go. <laughs> uh, I am, uh, I'm, I'm just having the greatest movie-watching month of my life, aren't I? <laughs> and I look, at, I, watched, uh, I watched the original Halloween last night, so you'd be proud of me. And I watched Did half you? of... I watched half of 2018. I got too tired, but uh, I'm on the late night schedule right now. I can't help it. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to rewatch the second half of 2018 tonight. And I rewatched kills back when, so I don't know if I'll need that, but, but yeah, I mean, the box office is loaded with good horror movies right now. Smile and barbarian both still, you know, both did really well. I mean, barbarian made something like 40 million ish before it's done on a, on a slim budget there 10 million dollar budget and smile 
It's going to surpass $100 million really It's going to be $100 million. That's awesome. And uh, that was a fun move. Uh, well, it was an intense move. I don't know, fun, but I, <laughs> my God, I, I really thought that was good. I was, I was a big fan in uh, my solo episode that I did there. And don't worry, darling, the Woman King kind of slowing down, Mike. Not the best numbers for those two movies, They at least started okay. I mean, Lyle Lyle Crocodile beating out both Amsterdam and Bros, not great. Right, so the, the the big disappointments are Bros and Lyle Lyle Co- Crocodile, but of course Amsterdam, because Lyle Lyle Crocodile underperformed. Maybe it gets some kind of profitability down the line, maybe on video. Bros, it's a disaster. The whole Billy Eichner thing where he's kind of right, but maybe he's being a jerk about it. Or, yeah. You know, I'll blame straight people too, Billy. I get it. I, was he joking? I don't know. It's, I mean, it... <sighs> I, I do feel bad that I didn't get to the theaters to see it myself, but he like, you know, it, it takes a lot to convince a major studio to put their money into that kind of movie and to make those kinds of movies and people needed to show up and they didn't. And that sucks. It does suck. It was, it was a funny movie. Funny as hell. I re- again, another one I reviewed there uh, in that solo episode, if you want to go back, but Amsterdam was awful. It was just not good. I, even though it wasn't as bad as I feared, like Mike Myers, Chris Rock, they're both really funny. Margot Robbie, there's she wears a dress in that movie that's just like, I'm sorry to say, worth the price of admission. So I'll give it a D plus, but Jesus, oh Margot Robbie. Um, but no, look at it's it doesn't work. Like it's just a hot mess. It's a cluster F. I mean Taylor Swift scene is ridiculous. The Bale's exasperated dialogue and narration is just like manic depressive. I, I don't know what to to make of of how they I don't know what to make of the production process and how they could screw this up that bad because you get this cast involved and yet you you're telling this story that is so predictable and silly. It's bizarre i mean i know i was excited about amsterdam for the last couple of years here leading up to it i know david o russell had his blights and he had his controversies and he's kind of being treated as this is the long overdue comeuppance for him and it's bizarre that there's this many a-listers attached to it and there's yeah. just no saving this movie i mean it's not making box office it's not critically reviewed well 80 million dollars of budget million dollar budget i mean this could be the david o russell low point for his career but you know yeah. i mean he's a guy that's not been great <laughs> as far as how he treats his workers and how he you know reports about his personal life as well. It's just his family. Yeah. I wonder if this is just a reaction to him, a backlash towards him, or if it's a backlash towards movie stardom as well in general. Because you have all those A-listers and none of them were enough to entice people to the box office for it. That's kind of weird to me. <sighs> I think when you have like an Oscars level film and it's execution dependent and the cat's out of the bag that they flubbed it that that matters to the moviegoer as much as anything and of course when you have the spiraling story about how bad of a dude he is and then Mm. we're going to go into this moralizing thing where he's on a soapbox trying to talk about current times like Mm. why do we want to listen to you yeah when you, you know your credibility is is undermined by the Lily Tomlin stuff was going viral again I saw at least on TikTok uh, this Absolutely. past couple days here and how he the, the abhorrent way he treated her uh, on the set of Huckabees there. So, you know, yeah. I mean, you reap what you sow sometimes in this industry. Yeah. Um, finally, I just want to make mention of Avatar's re-release, Michael, because it's done ridiculously that good numbers. fucking movie is going to do well. <laughs> the re-release has made 71 last I checked worldwide. What, are, what is going on? Like, why does everybody make jokes about Avatar? 
<laughs> when clearly there's a huge audience for it. Who, Look at there's I mean the overlap between people who criticize that we don't need more Avatar movies and yeah. people who see Avatar has to have a great overlap. It's got to be almost a, a full circle. There's got to be people that are seeing this movie that criticize the movie coming out. Again, Cameron's you know comments kind of make sense. She's like, yeah, I'll laugh all the way to the bank yeah. essentially, you know, because you're all gonna see it. You know, <laughs> you're saying this now, but you're all gonna see it, right? And, and we're all gonna see it. And, and I've been tempted to go to the re-release, even though I have the darn thing on Blu-ray. How many times I've been tempted to go to the re-release? And yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. It's a huge hit internationally too, so yeah. that, it's gonna do well there, no matter what. The way of water. So that's. Uh, that, that, that's something I also wanted to bring up in this correction of a story, though, because Glass Onion is probably in a similar theater count, something I neglected to pay attention to last week when or last episode when I talked about Knives Out 2 and what kind of numbers Knives Out 2 could make in theaters during that Thanksgiving one-week release. Because, Michael, I mentioned numbers like 50 million or 90 million, and those are 3,000 theater numbers. Right. I don't know what I was thinking. But, like, if it does Avatar re-release numbers, 10, 12 in its first week and weekend, and then overall it could make, like, 20, they'd be doing cartwheels over at Netflix. They'd be thrilled for 600 theaters. And why the so. hell are they doing it? <laughs> Dude, that's so the thing. Well, we were worried about them just, like, giving away their product. They're really not because not enough it, this is not going to make such a huge difference for their netflix numbers but even it's if they did 3000 theaters it wouldn't either like the fine we, we we landed there too the finances don't you know financials don't really matter no the this. financials don't matter but if you're worried about people not watching on netflix yeah you shouldn't you shouldn't be because it's why why put it in theaters why if you're doing only 600 why why bother put it in your one satisfy the academy requirement and then release it on netflix I think you ha now you have the eventizing of it where this could have some buzz making possibilities for a best picture run. Like if there are less theaters playing it, you could have more crowded theaters and it could and again, it could make a number that's worth mentioning at the end. It could make ten million. It's unlikely, but look at I, th I think the biggest you know, 600 theater release in recent history anyway, according to my research, was like Love Actually that took in $54 million over its first week. But after a couple days, it jumped from 600 theaters to 1,100 theaters because obviously mm. they realized it was it was a hit. So that's kind of hard to analyze. I don't think Knives Out is going to jump in theater count. doesn't sound like. <sighs> I don't get it. But it's not for me to get. There you go. That's your Oscar race checkpoint, your New York Film Festival deep dive complete with apple pie, French toast, and erotica brought to you by also Mike. Uh, as always, dear listener, we want to hear from you. Did you partake in the New York Film Festival? Did you see any of the movies that also Mike has reviewed here? What did you think about his reviews? Do you agree or disagree? As well as, did you see anything else at the New York Film Festival or any other film festival? We want to hear from you, as always. And you can leave us any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything we do 
do here in the MMO Empire on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts. And if you're listening to us on either the Apple Podcasts or Spotify apps, if you appreciate what we do here, if you would leave us a five star review, those help us out immensely. Thank you to each and every one of you who have done so thus far. Uh, Michael, we got one more episode coming this week, hopefully, as long as, as long as everything goes according to plan. Tell the good people what's coming next and what's some words of wisdom to get out of here on. Yeah, I think we're, what are we doing? Are we doing Lyle Crocodile? Are we doing, how dare you? I should stab <laughs> you with a kitchen knife. <laughs> Halloween ends, baby. Can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, that's what's coming next. We'll have one more New York Film Festival Oscar race checkpoint segment, white noise slash uh, she said that I'll be seeing this weekend. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, Oscar race checkpoints. And I mean, we're, we're heading into Oscar watching movie season for sure. We still yeah. got a lot of big movies to review that did not play the festival. Some that did that we didn't get to. We got some guests on the slate that we got a book. I actually got to book that, Michael. Uh, so if you're one of those two guests, uh, stay tuned uh, and, and listen to your DMs. I got to book you guys. But listen we have, to your DMs. Listen, oh, this is where I'm at. Listen to your DMs <laughs> and read your podcasts. <laughs> I should do Smell every outro. Smell <laughs> your colors. But look at words of wisdom. If, I, if you guys have not realized that this is a taking the piss segment, words of wisdom <laughs> is uh, that, yeah, I mean, if you want to make friends at a New York City bar, order mm. something big and beautiful and dessert-like and sugary, and, and you will do that, I guess. That's that's how I need to flirt now. You Think ate the rest that of my life. and went to see four movies and didn't fall asleep in the movie theater? <laughs> I had a cappuccino that was strong. As with it, yeah, I was good. I was, I was good. I was flying the whole day. I was walking around the city. Like the best parts, I could took videos of Lincoln Center with the neon fountains, and I had a blast. I had a good time. I, God bless you. I could not. I could absolutely. Not. I can't stay awake when I go in with water. <laughs> I picture you needing one of those Japanese parlors that just have pods. Yeah, where people could go and sleep. Absolutely, like a thousand percent. Or, or I'm just waiting for the day the human race actually does become like they're pictured in Wally, and we have our own little things that we can float around on and sit down on and never move. There you like, go. Yeah, that's then I can do a couple movies in a day, maybe as long as I don't have to watch them because I'll sleep. If you have a hotel room, that's what you probably got. You got to have a hotel room. Yeah, but then we're talking. I mean, then what the fuck are we talking about here? Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about a thousand dollars for me to go ninety minutes away from my house. True, it's, it's true. not worth it. <laughs> like Toronto, and you do. Could you? you right. Probably, if we did one of those, it, it's it's more feasible at least. You do a movie. You go yeah, take a nap. Exactly. Exactly. You do a movie. You eat something. You take a crap. Right. You do a movie. <laughs> right. You go to bed. You sleep in. Exactly. You do three movies. Three right. movies. Yeah. Let's not push it. Two. <laughs> <laughs> you drink a bottle of vodka. You go to go to bed. Uh, guys, when reality sucks, you can. Get your own pod to sleep in with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you all very soon. See you.